Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Mike Freeman. Enjoy. Continuing today our series uh, that we launched last Sunday that's about hearing God. Today we're specifically talking about hearing God in Scripture. And we're going to kick off with a video from the Bible Project that talks specifically about that very topic. I was reading the Bible, which, you know, is kind of hard to do, but I came across this verse that says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Yeah, this is in Paul's letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's telling him about ways that he can keep his church community engaged with scripture. Okay, so preaching the Bible, I get. Teaching from the Bible, I get that too. But what about this reading scripture together thing? Is that something I'm supposed to care about? Why did Paul think it was so important? Oh man, for Paul, this was a really significant practice for the people of God. Think all the way back to Mount Sinai, where the Israelites were just rescued from Egypt. They're no longer slaves, and they need a new identity, a new story to live by. And so Moses, he gathers the people together, and he reads the scriptures aloud. He reminds them of where they came from, who they are, and the new future that they're called to live for. This was the first public reading of scripture in the Bible. Yeah, and it didn't stop there. When the people finally got into the land, they did it again. Joshua pulled the people together, and they all listened to the scriptures read aloud so they could remember where they came from and how they could keep living as a part of this new story. So this is something they did all the time then? Well, actually, no. After Joshua died, we don't have any more stories of the people coming together to hear God's word. Instead, the people forgot their story and a whole generation arose that didn't know their God or what God had done for them. But then, centuries later, a king named Josiah rediscovered the scriptures, and he was so excited that he called Israel to begin this practice once again. It sparked a renewal movement. That is, until the people forgot once more, and they ended up in exile. And so this is why, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from the exile, they needed to remind the people who they are and how they are to live. So this is a powerful practice. Yeah, in fact, reading scripture together became a core part of Jewish life. It was done every week as they gathered in synagogue. Jesus himself participated in this practice. He even launched his mission during the weekly reading of the scriptures. He read from the scroll of Isaiah, and then he told everyone these words were about him. And that brings us all the way back to the early church where Paul told Timothy to keep this practice going to immerse the whole community in the story of the scriptures. Okay, but here's the thing. Most people back then didn't know how to read, so they had to do it publicly. But I could read the Bible by myself. Yeah, and you should totally do that. But don't underestimate the power of this ancient practice. Reading the Bible by yourself can be hard. It can be easy to get distracted. But something happens when you hear God's word read aloud and when you're with other people. And besides, it's really easy. You don't need anyone to preach or teach. You just need to listen to the scriptures and then talk about what you've heard. This is what God's people have always done when they enter into new and uncertain times. They remember their story and who they are through the public reading of the scriptures. Good morning. So lovely to see you. 
Well, the reality is, we should have just given Jackie the whole morning. Um, I think it's awesome when uh, I think it's awesome when a man needs to yield the floor to a woman and give up his time. I think that is amazing. May that increase. Um, nevertheless, I do have a few things to say, and this is this morning's text, which I have brought up before you. <laughs> Might take a little time. Trevor did tell me I have permission to go over like 10 or 15, no, 5 or 10. Or was it 10 or 15? Or was that 20? I don't I'm actually going to try to calm myself. I, I came with, um, I came with a, a prayer. This is actually a, a book of, um, well, it's a book of liturgy, of prayers um, before all kinds of things. Prayers when you start a book, prayer when you finish a book, prayer when you move into a new home, given to me, gifted to me by uh, Mick and Chris Fairchild. And I found this prayer this morning, liturgy before taking the stage. So I'm just going to pray this. And I'm not worrying about the time, because we just need to relax into what God has for us in the moment here. So this is my prayer. What I have to offer here, I'm sorry, what have I to offer here that might sustain the souls of others? Alone, I have little more to show beneath the scrutiny of lights than my own pride and insecurity, my craving for praise, and my fear of rejection. Rather, let me offer something greater in this place, O Christ. As I step onto this stage, meet me amidst the wreckage of my ego and my woundedness, and through me, give what I alone cannot. I offer you what I have, my talents, my training, the years spent honing and crafting and creating, my passions, my personality, my history, the many sacrifices I and others have made in order for me to be here. I give you even my brokenness, for which I am also a steward. I offer now these incomplete and insufficient provisions, remembering how you in your days among us twice blessed inadequate offerings, fashioning them into miraculous feasts that would sustain crowds in their hard journeys. I pray that you would likewise, likewise receive and bless and multiply my own meager gifts, Jesus, for the benefit of all who have gathered here, let these humble elements in your hands become true nourishment for those who hunger for you and for those who have not yet wakened to their deepest hungers. Let my brief service to them be like the opening of a window through which the breezes of a far country might blow, stirring eternal longings to life. Take this tiny heap of my talents and my brokenness alike this jumble of what is best and worst in me and meld it into the greater work of your spirit, using each facet as you will, so that even as sunlight coursing through a cracked prism, your grace might somehow be revealed upon this stage in whatever gloried and peculiar patterns. Emphasis on peculiar patterns that you have fashioned me to display. Amen. Here we go. So, thank you, Mick and Chris. Prayer for literally every occasion. So, yes, this is our text. We're in this book. I wish I had a copy. I don't uh, because I listen. Well, I read it first in Kindle, and I'm listening to it in Audible. Um, so I don't have a physical copy to hold up, but there are still copies, I think. I'm pretty sure. 
Are we all out, Rihanna? We're all out. Yeah, sorry. But we'll get you one, and it's on Audible, and it's on Kindle. So anyway, so we're, we're just at the start of this journey. Um, Pete Craig, How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. I commend it to you and commend you to engage in it and to do so with a couple others. The, the core story, the centering story, is the walk to Emmaus, where you have two people. He insists they are a couple. I'm still getting used to that, okay? I'm just getting used to it. Every time he says the couple, the couple, the couple, the couple, the couple, and he doesn't even explain that it's actually a couple until you're way into the book. And it's like, oh, you think it's a married couple? They're going home. Okay, I get you. But regardless, Cleopas and the unnamed one, um, which would be the wife. Let's just name her Mary, okay? Um, because Mary was, well, there's just all kinds of Marys everywhere. Having a conversation. Having a conversation about the things that had happened. And a stranger shows up in the midst and then takes them on a tour, actually, of these two lower shelves. Okay, takes them on a story through the law, the prophets, and the writings, relating them all to what they just experienced. And their hearts were afire when they didn't even realize why or that they were until in the breaking of bread, the stranger disappears. Um, uh, Pete Craig takes this as a model of our experience as believers. Um, and so well, we all have different journeys, but there are common denominators here that he's pointing us to. And the specific denominator this week is hearing God's voice in Scripture. All right. Now, depending on your background, if you're an evangelical, you are a friend of Scripture, and Scripture is a friend to you, probably. If you're perhaps more Pentecostal or if you're new to this whole business, then Scripture is an intimidating mass or mess that you're perhaps even afraid to touch. Perhaps you don't even think you can touch it. Do you dare take hold of this? Especially when I'm showing you like a library. Because um, it is. This is really deceptive when I hold up this and just say, hey, you need to read the book. Because what I need to pick up is this which I'm not going to attempt to because, among other things, it's too heavy. Also, the casters fall off. So it just doesn't work. But I would need to lift this whole thing. But even this, of course, is a misnomer because books like this, well, this is called codex, you know, where you're actually sewing pages together like this so they can fall open, right? This was, okay, sorry, this is upside down. It matters to me. But this... And now see, if I was Jewish, I'd say, what are all you guys doing still sitting? Because you see, they do this. There is no prompt necessary. Everybody stands. And you know what else they do is they, they take their hand and they, because it's sweeter than honey, you see. So there's rituals around this whole thing. Um, and we could say, well, that's kind of weird. Well... I know rituals aren't necessarily weird. They can become unhealthy and obsessive. We can get OCD religiously, yes. Uh, we can also be OCD about not having rituals. But this is actually the original form. This is just the, a paper copy of the, of the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I tried stretching this when I did this kind of presentation with a classroom of kids, which... You know, we come around to it in children's ministry. Hey, it's mobile, and I am too. 
Um, and we stretched it from one end of the Children's Ministry Center, Ezra, from one end to the other, child holding it at one end, several children supporting it. It stretches from one side to the other. And having done that, I said, okay, now your job is just to memorize it. <laughs> All right. So this is the book. Now, an article, okay, because did a little bit of research uh, this, well, I guess actually last week. Although I want to start with Pete Craig's quote. This would be the quote of the week from his book. Um, he writes, a survey of 40,000 people aged between 8 and 80 discovered that reading the Bible has a profound effect on both our mental health and our spiritual growth, but only if it's done at least four times a week. Once or twice a week provides a negligible benefit, and three times results in only a slight improvement but among those who study the Bible at least four times a week, there is a dramatic inflection point, a sharp uplift in their mental and spiritual well-being. In fact, these regular Bible readers are 30% less likely to feel lonely, 32% less prone to anger issues, 60% less likely to report feelings of spiritual stagnation, and 228% more likely to be active in sharing their faith. Okay. So, can I just make one thing really clear at this point? This is meant to be a guilt-free offering. Okay? This is a guilt-free offering. Just relax. I'm not going to hit you with any of these books. Nor am I going to heft the whole thing and drop it on you. That sounds really, really promising. But see, the thing is, George Gallup Jr. has this marvelous quote that that P. Craig also highlights uh, in the chapter, which you will be reading this week. The Bible is the best-selling, least-read book in America. <laughs> so what's the problem? Okay, this is the article, Lifeway Research. This goes back to actually 2017, slightly dated, but I think it's probably still relevant. Americans are fond of the Bible, but don't actually read it. Uh, Bob C. Uh, Ogasmitana from April 25th. Now, he has this graph, how much of the Bible have you personally read? I could totally embarrass you. I could try to embarrass you, but I'm not. Just where are you in this whole picture here? Okay, I'm going to read the fine print here. Americans have a positive view of the Bible, and many say that the Christian scriptures are filled with moral lessons for today. However, more than half of Americans have read little or none of the Bible. Less than a quarter of those who have ever read a Bible have a systematic plan for reading the Christian scriptures each day, and a third of Americans never pick it up on their own. Most Americans don't know firsthand the overall story of the Bible because, well, they rarely pick it up, McConnell said. Even among worship uh, attendees, see, that's what you all, you're all worship attendees. Whoa. We're actually aiming higher. We really are. Okay. But among a worship attendees, less than half read the Bible daily, let alone four times a week, right? Um, the only time most Americans hear the Bible is when someone else is reading it. Americans also differ in how they approach reading the Bible. 22% read a little bit each day in a systematic approach. A third, that's 35%, never pick it up at all, while 30% look up things in the Bible when they need to, and then they text Mike and say, where is that passage that says? 19% um, reread their favorite parts, Psalm 23, Psalm 23, 
Lord's Prayer, Psalm 23. They read their favorite parts and reread those favorite parts. Well, 70% flip open the Bible and read a passage at random. And so, okay, let's just try this. This is a live test, not setting you up. Okay, passage at random, word for the day. <gasps> Scripture is upside down. The Bible is upside down. There is a message there, but this is where it is. Okay, this is where it is. <laughs> then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Boom! I got lucky. What an awesome passage to go to. Whoa. So I'm not dissing that. God speaks in all kinds of ways, in even the most random of ways. That worked. I didn't know how that would go. I didn't know if I would have uh, two at the causeway and four by par par. Um, I, I had no idea, but there we go. Well, that's the extent for many, 17%, opening at random. A quarter, 27%, read sections suggested by others, while 16% say they look things up to help others. Okay, so all this is in this graph that, that's up there, and basically what it comes down to is we've got 20%, one, 20%, okay, math was not my major. That's like one in five, yes? One in five of us have read the Bible all the way through. Now you can turn to your neighbor and say, that weren't me. No. <laughs> and then an even smaller percentage have read all of it more than once. And if that's you, wow, you qualify for the crazy club, <laughs> the fanatic club, yes? So, how much have you personally read? That's just a good question. And why have you not read the Bible more? I don't. This is so. This is again same research, same article. I don't prioritize it. Twenty-seven percent. I don't have time. I have read enough of it. Okay, that's someone who started in Genesis and got all the way through Genesis ten. I have read enough of it. Okay, where's Psalm twenty-three? I need to find my Psalm twenty-three. Um, I don't agree with what it says. It's always a good reason to stop listening to people or reading books because you don't agree what they say. So I don't agree with what it says. I don't see how it relates to me. Also, another good reason not to keep listening because I don't see how this relates. Or I just don't read books. Right? This could be a problem, but all things are possible with God. I'm intimidated by the size of it, right? This is... This, Okay, you understand the context? This is a lie. You understand? I mean, how many pages are in this book, and how can it fit within the confines? Okay, well, that's not true. 149. Okay, that's just your little thing back here. Let's see. I should have looked this up ahead of time. All right, 1,095 pages. And that's this edition. Others may have as many as 1,200 pages. I think that's what Craig says, 1,200 pages. Do you know why we can fit 1,200 pages in like this? Because we make the pages so dang stinking thin that you can't even mark in it without it bleeding all over the place. And you write, that's the only way. Otherwise, we're going to have, we're going to have something considerably larger. And of course, this appeals to the Pharisee and me, right? <laughs> carry this around. <laughs> Youth, carry this to school. What's that you got there? I'm carrying the Word. 
and watching them line up to have conversations with you. It's a bit big and it's a bit intimidating. The size of it, it's just too big. I don't own a copy. Actually, most of us own copies, we just don't read them. Have you ever stayed at a motel? You have a copy there. In fact, steal it. That's what the Gideons say to do, steal it. People are literally giving copies away. And most of us, on average, buy at least three new Bibles every year, which we still resolve we're going to read one day, maybe this time. This is a guilt-free offering. I'm just describing behaviors that we all share as human beings. I prefer other spiritual books, to which I say, bravo. This is a good one to bring alongside. I'm trying to empower us to actually dip in and see. And I'd like to talk about how to do that. Now, I don't, this last one mystifies me because it's 35% that say none of these. And I'm thinking, what's not in that list? None of these. What is that 35%? I'm not sure exactly. But Thomas Merton, in his beautiful a little tome that I found dating back to the 60s, which is when Thomas Merton lived. He was a Trappist monk in Kentucky and other places. But he, he wrote this little book called Opening the Book. Uh, it's almost like a pamphlet. It's just like 99 pages. And he said, it is the very nature of the Bible to affront, perplex, and astonish the human mind. Affront, perplex, astonish. Did you think you had a book here that you could tame? A book that you could grasp? Because you see, this isn't a book that you grasp. It's a book ultimately that grasps you and that carries you and transports you. It affronts, it perplexes, and astonished. If you are affronted and perplexed, if you are offended, well, then obviously you've heard something. Well done. Well done. Don't stop listening. Hence, the reader who opens the Bible must be prepared for disorientation, confusion, incomprehension, and perhaps outrage. So if that's why you're not reading, because that's what you encountered, you were in the zone. You were totally in the zone. Disorientation, confusion, incomprehension, perhaps outrage. The Bible is without question one of the most unsatisfying books ever written, at least until the reader has come to terms with it in a very special way. But it is a difficult book to come to terms with. One must not give the impression of claiming, as some popular preachers do, that you cannot seriously open the Bible without being instantly subject to supernatural jolts, ooh, shocks, short circuits, mystical feedback, whoa, and heaven knows what else besides. Much more common reactions are boredom, especially if you're in Leviticus, <laughs> or the first nine chapters of First Chronicles. <sighs> I hear your pain. I feel. Much more common reactions are boredom, mystification, and a sense that one has suddenly got lost, and even the onset of sleep. <laughs> are you familiar with this Bible study posture? <laughs> I've got a picture from the Library of Congress, and my daughter Rihanna and I were able to go in. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm going to say, oh my God because it was an oh my God moment. See, that can be a legitimate prayer. This is good. Oh my God, we're in the Library of Congress. And we're getting books and we're sitting down. 
And it was like the one time I read for three hours without doing this once because it was like every synapse is firing. It's like we're in the library of Congress. This is so cool. And I'm walking out, and there's somebody who obviously frequented the Library of Congress because this was his position. So if I was there every day for hours, I would take naps as well. But it was so amazing. But I love that, and I love the, the realistic aspect of it. Everyone, last bit from his quote, everyone is likely to have trouble with the Bible. Notice, please, even the believer, perhaps especially the believer. I would say if you're not having trouble with the Bible as a believer, then you're not reading the Bible. You're rehearsing what you've been hearing all this time. When you read the Bible, it will... Okay, where do I have this in here? I, I thought of this last night, um, all this marvelous quote. It's from the movie Always, Richard Dreyfuss, Holly Hunter, John Goodman. Anybody tracking with me? 1991, okay. Al Yaki. John Goodman training pilots like in Boise, Idaho to put out fires, you know, and so forth, and so they're driving their big bad bombers and so forth, and he's got a crop of losers here who can't even drop fire on an, or drop fire retardant on an oil drum, right? They all failed miserably, and he says, you can't even hit a smoking oil drum, and a drum ain't a tree. A drum ain't a tree. A tree can explode like a bomb, a tree can go up like a Roman candle in an oil drum. It doesn't have any heat. In a real fire, there's heat. There's heat that can suck you under, flip you over. There's currents that can tie a knot in a windsock. Is not my word a fire that consumes the stubble? Is it not a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Who do you think the rock is? Oh, that would be your stony heart, wouldn't it? That would be your fossilized convictions. That would be your fossilized way of life. That would be these impenetrable ears that he wants to, to penetrate as he digs ears in that dense material of my cranial region. It's a hammer that breaks the rock. So this is powerful. We don't wield it. It ultimately wields us if we're doing it right. Okay, now, just one additional thing here. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he was in prison, all right? Mid-40s? This was his personal reflection. I am going through another spell of finding the Bible difficult to read. I never know quite what to make of it. I don't feel guilty about it. And I say, guilt-free offering, people. You're in good company. I never know quite what to make of it. I don't feel guilty about it, and I know it won't be long before I return to it again with renewed zest. Is it just a psychological process? I'm almost inclined to think so. True, there's always a danger of indolence, that's laziness, slothfulness, but it would be wrong to get fussed about it. See, I don't want you to get fussed about this. And I don't want anybody walking away with a heavy load of, well, a hot steaming load of guilt, like you need us to add to that what you brought in? Far better to trust that after wobbling a bit, the compass will come to rest in the right direction. All right, here's the fact about the Bible. Oh my gosh, okay, I might go over 10 or minutes or so. This is a beast. The Bible is a beast. It is. 
and you cannot tame it. This is not what expository preaching is about. It's not about somehow taming the beast, caging the beast in nice little bite-sized pieces that we can all take in. This is a beast. It's Jabberwocky. Now, I've known this beast. I've known this beast. Quick math, 1975 to present. You figure that out. That's like what? 50, that's 48 years, right? 47? Gosh, it feels like 48. <laughs> this is a beast. I didn't know it was a beast at first. I thought it was a nice little shih tzu. <laughs> this is a beast. See, because I didn't just go for individual verses. And, and by the way, down here, this is Torah, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, flanked by the prophets, major. Well, oh, that's our division. Theirs is early and latter. We say major and minor. They said early and latter. And that's like Joshua and Judges and Samuel and Kings and then Isaiah and then Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Those are the prophets flanking Torah. And then we have the writings, starting with the Psalms and carrying right on through where we end up then with Chronicles. Because you see, our Bible ends with Malachi saying, repent or the Lord is going to come and smite the earth with a curse. The Hebrew Bible arrangement ends with 2 Chronicles 36, which has a Jewish king in captivity let out of prison and going home. Wow. That's a different ending, isn't it? Same books, different arrangement. Try reading it the Jewish way sometime. Uh, you might be very interested in what you see. This is, this, is, this is where Jesus took them. This is what he took them through. And then, of course, we have right here at the center, paralleling down here. This is foundational. This is peak. This is cornerstone. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Gospels. They are your home base. Stop hitting your head against the wall of Genesis. Take on Matthew. Take a, start with Mark, in fact. Mark takes 90 minutes to read in one sitting. Okay, that gets to me to what I want to talk about. I'm really going to try. Leave when you guys need to. I'm really going to try to be responsible here. And, and just so you know, I don't know if this slide is still up there or not. The Bible is a beast. The Bible is human, divine, foreign, ancient, diverse, messy, often ambiguous, sometimes dark, not meant to give us the answers but to lead us to wisdom. That's actually where this week's devotions are going. That's where they're going, exploring that one thing there. So that's what you can look, that's what you can look forward to, all right? If you do the devotions. This is actually our text. Before I finish, I should actually read the text for the morning, which would be 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 uh, through 17, which to give you context, Paul says, Timothy, his son in the faith, Timothy, know this, that in the later times, in the latter days, in the last days, grievous times will come. Those are times that literally suck the, right out, the life right out of you and drain all the color from your face. They just leave you going, oh, my water. I lost my water. Thank you. Oh, that was timely. Okay. Grievous times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. 
have nothing to do with them. These are the kind that worm their way into households and take, well, they take advantage of the most vulnerable who are loaded down with sins and swayed everywhere by their evil desires. They're always learning notebooks chock full of sermon notes and observations and texts. They're always learning but never able to get it to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these people also oppose the truth. They're people of corrupt mind who, as far as the faith is concerned, total rejects. But they're not going to get very far, for the folly will be made very clear to everyone, just as it was in the case of those, I want to say losers, those posers. But you know all about my teaching, my way of life. Ooh. My teaching, my way of life. My purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, faithfulness, persecution, sufferings. You know what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. You know what persecutions I endured, and your Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, all who want to live all out a life of awe before God will be hounded relentlessly, while evil men and impostors Go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But, so there's our immediate context now. Here's the text. But you, as for you, continue in the things that you have learned and of which you become convinced because you know those from whom you learned them and how that from infancy you have known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Or as I put it kind of in my little combination, match it, mash up, Continuing the things that you've learned, of which you've become convinced, knowing from who you learned them, how they're from infancy, you've known the sacred texts of our ancient library, which when Paul is talking about sacred texts from our ancient library, it's the bottom two shelves, people. The ones that we are most readily wanting to avoid. This is where Paul said, Timothy, you took this in with your mother's milk. So dive in. Dive in, Timothy. All right, dive in sacred text of our ancient library which had the full capacity to bring you into deepening wisdom leading to a deepening salvation which is freedom and wholeness and life through the way of deepening trust rooted in the messiah in jesus every sacred text pasa grafe theopnustos is the greek which sounds a lot like also sprach zarathustra and you, know, you know what that is, right? The 2001 music? You guys know classical music? Okay. Pasa grafe theopustos. Every sacred text is divinely breathed, useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our missteps, training us to walk God's good road of justice and mercy from above, a.k.a. righteousness, putting us together as the humans God intended us to be and shaping us for, for the task that God has prepared for us to do. The being and the doing is what Scripture is all about. So how do we crack the nut of Scripture? Okay, so we'll go through this fairly quickly. Huh. Do you listen to podcasts, anybody here? Do you listen to them at one and a half speed? That's my default for my speaking. So you don't need to increase any speed. I'm going to talk a little faster, okay. You can read the entire Bible in 70 hours and 40 minutes. Does that sound intimidating? Good. You can read the Old Testament in 52 hours and 20 minutes. New Testament, 18 hours and 20 minutes. Now, do you realize... Okay, I'm going to skip that one. Now, let's go to some facts. 
In 2020, each Netflix subscriber in the U.S. was watching an average of 3.2 hours of content per day. Although this number has likely gone down in 2019, this is a 2022 study, before COVID-19 pandemic, the average American Netflix subscriber was watching about two hours per day in 2019. What do you think they're doing now? Add in Disney Plus, add in YouTube, add in whatever streaming service you want. I understand these are different mediums. I understand that. Do you realize that you can watch The Office. You can binge watch The Office. How many hours do you think it would take? 99 hours. That's according to bingeclock.com or whatever it is, because I've never tried it. That's four days in three hours. 99 hours if you're gonna binge watch The Office. Or just watch it over time. That's 99 hours that you put into watching it. Park and Rec, 63 hours. Breaking Bad, 60. Battlestar Galactica, so say we all, 60 hours. Seinfeld, 90. Cheers, 138. All the Marvel MCU movies, watch the whole story arc. This is where we get into questions of canon because Marvel people will debate as to what really belongs there and what doesn't. 42 hours. 42 hours. So the point is, we all have lots of time. What are we going to learn to do with it? Now, we're wired differently? Yes. I would like to encourage you. There are two kinds of reading. Trevor's going to be focusing on the second kind. I'm actually encouraging you to try out the first kind. There is Lectio Continua and Lectio Divina. Lectio Continua is reading for breadth. Lectio Divina is reading for depth. I started off the first 20 years of my walk as a believer, that's 1975 to 1995, roughly speaking. I was doing vigorous Lectio Continua, where I was reading for breadth. I devoured this. I figured out how long it would take me to read the New Testament in a month. <gasps> no, in two weeks. <gasps> no, in one week. And then I would do it. How long does it take you to the Old Testament? And I just... I timed and I reread and I read and I read and I read and I read. At first, I was hitting this wall of I'm not understanding anything, Lord. And I wasn't even a tradition that would say I'm expecting God to speak to me. But God spoke to me, all right, in that inscrutable whisper within that just said, Don't worry about it. Just keep going. God can have an accent. And so I just kept going. I said, Okay. All right. Eventually, I added, I, added a th well, I added a thing, Haley's Bible Handbook. Eventually, it was like, I'm going to read his little bit, and then I'll you know, dive on through and such. And I actually have extra copies of here. One is like this nice deluxe one in color. Wow. They're just to give you, I give them away because, I mean, they're just sitting here, people. Somebody use them. I did that for like 20 years. And then I add in Greek and Hebrew into the mix because I am king of the crazy club when it comes to Scripture. I was memorizing, and then I started connecting the verses I was memorizing, and it, it, it resulted in paragraphs and then whole chapters, and then a oh, whole book. And this is just a personal discipline. I would have been embarrassed if somebody said, hey, Mark, why don't you quote the book of James? And be like, no, oh, no, I don't think so, thanks. All right. But it was my devotional life breadth, which led to depth. This is how doable this potentially is. 
And this is one way you can approach this. And there is a, now, now see, now Mitchell, the link here, we'll just take them to the one I have in the note. Yeah, it's actually a, uh, an article, it's on travisagnew.org. How long does it take to read each book of the Bible? You can just go there, access that, see the list, or just Google how long does it take to reach each book of the Bible. And you're going to see a chart like he's got there. And you're going to see that you can read in under five minutes. You can, books you can read in this collection under five minutes. Obadiah, under five minutes. Philemon, 2 John, 3 John, Jude. That's five. In 25 minutes, you've read five stinking books of the Bible. Wow. And that same time, you'd still be trudging up to the doorstep of Genesis 10 and getting discouraged. Start with the easy ones and see what God speaks. Now, this reading, of course, is assuming you're not going on rabbit trails. I would encourage you, Lectio Continua, take notes, and then you can do Lectio Divina, go deeper. All right, now, they say, well, I'm going to get ambitious under 10 minutes. Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Peter. It works audible too, folks. You can listen to it as well as read it. If one night I do 25 minutes and I just wrote five books, check, 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 and the next night I'm going to be ambitious. I'm going to read half of the 10-minute books. Maybe I'll just read one 10-minute book tonight. Ooh, but maybe two. Ooh, maybe I'll go crazy and read three. I'll spend 30 minutes and read three of them. And in three nights, I have now read nine more books. Add to my five, I've got 14. Mathematicians, work out the percentages. I've got a strong foothold here. Now I can start going. Now I encourage you, don't read Psalms, especially in one sitting. That's five hours, you understand. And they get a bit repetitive. Split them up. Be creative with this thing. It's a library. Do you go in a library and assume you start with A and just keep going until you get to Z? Go where you're drawn, all right? But just go places where no man has gone before that has your name or woman has gone before. Stretch yourself. I encourage you to read the Gospels. 90 minutes for Mark, two and a half hours. To read a book, binge one Gospel. Turn off the TV. Close the laptop, unless that's where you're reading it. Spend 90 minutes reading Mark from start to finish just for the breadth of it. And then breathe. Wow, what if you were to repeat that? Well, no, I'll do another gospel, okay? Because I go to, to Matthew, two and a half hours. That's one evening. You start at 6, you're done at 8.30. Luke in two and a half hours, John in two. Mark is what Jesus did. Matthew is what Jesus said. Luke is how Jesus did it, and John is who Jesus is. It's home base. I memorize the letters because that's kind of our home, the home base for my church growing up. I've said for years with my daughter Rihanna listening to me, and yes, I'm totally embarrassing her at this point, but then, you know, just get used to it, okay? Years. Ah, oh, if only I had started. In 1975, memorizing not James, the brother of Jesus, but Jesus. What if I memorized Mark in 1975? How would that have messed me up and flipped me over and tied my windsock in a knot?
This is very doable. You can do this. Listen to it. Find a translation. Don't sit down in an easy chair. This is a fire and it's a hammer. Get used to getting up and moving around as you walk. Get it in your ears and take your walks with it. Take your runs with Scripture in your ears. You drive around town. Hey, I appreciate, um, oh, the river. What, what is the river? Is that 101 point? Okay. Anyway, I appreciate old rock and roll. I do. And a lot of you just turned me off. But... I appreciate old rock, old rock and roll. Like, but just try filling your car with Scripture because you just might find you're flipping off the fellow in front of you a little less. <laughs> there are some immediate benefits. Okay. Oh, gosh, Trevor, I am so sorry. Okay. This is a day of transgression. Lord, forgive me for I have sinned. Oh, gosh, I've got so much else. Okay, Luke Acts, four hours and 45 minutes. Whoa, that's a hike. Break it in two if you want to. Or break it into smaller bits. 30 minutes a day gets you through the New Testament in six months. So you decide, the more compact the reading is for breadth, the more it tends to stick. Why do people text me where stuff is? Because I've been eating this for nearly five decades. So I know where stuff is. Where are our youth? Because they're the ones that need to start this, especially. Gosh, just dig in. Dig in and start reading. Start reading. Paul's epistles, three hours, 42 minutes. Catholic epistles, James through Jude, one hour and six minutes. This is doable. So read for breadth, read for depth. Amen and amen. All right, please stand because I know you're dying to. All right. Oh, my goodness. I picked this book up last night at midnight. I forgot it was on my shelf. Karl Barth, 1928, The Word of God and the Word of Man. This is going to be my prayer over you as we conclude. I invite you to come forward after the prayer uh, or just right where you are. I'll find you um, if you're needing this and you're needing prayer over this. What is there within the Bible? What is the significance of the remarkable line from Abraham to Christ? What are the chorus of prophets and apostles? And what is the burden of their song? What is the one truth that these voices evidently all desire to announce, each in its own tone, each in its own way? What lies between the strange statement, Barashit bara Elohim et hashamayim et ha'aretz? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the equally strange cry of longing, Amen, Erku. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. What is there behind all this that labors for expression? It is a dangerous question. We might do better not to come too near this burning bush, for we are sure to betray what is behind us. The Bible gives to every man and woman and to every era such answers to their questions as they deserve. We shall always find in it as much as we seek and no more. High and divine content, if it's high and divine content that we seek. Transitory and historical content, if it's transitory and historical content that we seek. Nothing whatever, if it's nothing whatever that we seek. The hunger are satisfied by it and the satisfied are surfeiting. That means, oh, I can't take another bite before they even start. 
What is within the Bible? It has a mortifying way of converting itself into the opposing question. Well, what are you looking for? And who are you, pray, who make bold to look? We must trust ourselves to reach eagerly for an answer which is really much too large for us, for which we really are not ready, and of which we do not seem worthy, since it is a fruit which our own longing, striving, and inner labor have not planted. Someone else has planted it. What this fruit, this answer is, is suggested by the title of his address. Within the Bible, there is a strange new world, the world of God. We call it here the kingdom of God. Lord, draw us into that and carry us away with it. Forgive us, Lord, for trying to manipulate, to control your words, to cage them, to parse them. Well, okay, we're going to do that, and you know that, Lord. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. It's your glory to hide them. But, Lord, just forgive us for the ways in which we murder by dissection. We invite you, Lord, to let your living word to penetrate to our soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intents of our hearts, because your word is alive. And it resides here. Bring the stranger alongside us and inflame our hearts to give you our ears, to yield to you our hands, and to offer you our feet. Amen. All right. All right, go. Guilt-free offering. All right, guilt-free. But go and be blessed. Stay for prayer if, if you, yes. God bless you all. Go make the invisible God visible, yes? Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.